Hey y'all, it's Lens, and it's been a minute, but I'm not going to dwell on that because that would make for a really boring intro, and it's very likely that I only have six listeners anyway, so it's not that anybody's been hanging on their podcast app looking for a new episode, but I'm here today with a new episode, so... Um, a lot of life has been lived in the last six months and, uh, I can't exactly claim that any of it has been anything that like the next great American novel would be written about, but I've hit some milestones since the last time I checked in. So just to give you a little roundup of what I've been doing, um, mostly I've just been aging. (laughs) Starting with having my 39th birthday come and go in April, which was a really fun slash wild experience. So I may save the story of that for its own episode just because there was a lot to it. But we went on a little adventure for my birthday and um, many things happened which were unexpected. (laughs) So um, I might tell the tale of that someday, but that was in April. And then just this past week, I uh, managed to pass the 19 year mark of marriage with my one and only Christopher. And we got back yesterday from being gone for a couple of days. Sometimes over our anniversary, we managed to take a little trip out of town. And sometimes we don't, and sometimes we do. But this year, we did manage to go away just for a couple nights. So that was kind of nice. But I was reflecting on um, some of the things that have happened in our house over the last couple months. And I think I can kind of boil it down to two main themes, which is for those of you that know um, a real estate agent, check on them. (laughs) Because it is kind of wild out there right now. It's I've described it to some people as the wild, wild west, um, given that there are market conditions happening right now that are continuously breaking norms and historical highs slash lows. So anybody that you happen to know who is attempting to make any kind of a living in real estate, call them if you want to check on their well-being because it's a little bananas. I happen to be halfway through what appears to be on track to be my most successful year, which seems kind of crazy to me because of the fact that the market is so challenging right now. But it's been exciting. I've learned a lot of lessons. I might eventually do a podcast about real estate. Uh, Then again, I might not because that seems like kind of a niche sort of thing that most people aren't interested in hearing a lot of um, deep dive commentary about. But feel free to let me know if you're interested. I have a child who absolutely hates it when I talk about real estate. She has told me many times how boring it is. So I think I have a, (laughs) I think I have a little bit of a of a complex about it. So I don't want to bore anybody, but I could literally talk about it for hours, but I could literally talk about lots of things for hours. So, 
Uh, so yes, that's kind of one theme of the last six months. And then the other theme is what I'm going to be telling about tonight, which is parenthood of a very special variety, which is parenting teens. (laughs) So I'll say this to start. I have never been scared of having a teenager. I have actually been looking forward to having a teenager because as I, oh, here comes the train. As I told my teenager in recent months, I have a degree in dealing with people like you. (laughs) So I graduated from college with a secondary education uh, specialty. It was my minor. So my major was English and then my minor was secondary education and the intent uh, for me was that I was going to have a career in teaching middle and high school. Um, I really went into it intending to do high school. And then I just happened to get hired my first year out of college. I got hired out of middle school and I ended up really kind of loving it. And so that's where I stayed for five years until I retired. Um, but now I'm back teaching middle school because I have a seventh grader and she is reminding me of all the reasons why middle schoolers, why other people think middle schoolers are so difficult. Um, just because it is kind of a crazy time for a child. Cause that's really what they are. They're just big overgrown children. I, I was telling someone, I don't remember who it might've been. I have several friends who have their, I'm like the older one and have the older kids and so they have their younger kids, like six and unders. And I I can just look at, I can see where they're at in their day to day and remember what that felt like and how tiring it was and how you just like, it wasn't so much that you were trying to wish the days away, but it was just like, man, you know, I really can't wait until they're older because you anticipate when they're older that just the, the load becomes lighter, you know, it just becomes easier. It's not so, and that is true on the one hand, because the labor intensity as the child ages, the labor intensity decreases because you're not literally having to do everything for them. But the emotional engagement really ramps up, especially around this teenage years. But I remember telling one of my friends who had little kids, I said, you know, they, they were saying something like, oh, my kids are driving me crazy. They just want attention all the time. And they just want snacks all the time. Or, you know, they're so overtired and then they won't take a nap. And then they kind of looked at me and they were like, I bet you're so glad you don't have to deal with this anymore. And I said, well, <laughs> believe it or not, teenagers are just overgrown toddlers. They're just toddlers and big bodies because their brains are developing at a rate of speed, which is, you know, not normal. And so they're going through milestones. They're, you know, their emotions are all over the place. Uh, they get hangry, they get overtired. They can't be reasoned with. Um, it's just like having a large toddler. (laughs) So, you know, we're like smack in the middle of that. We have a 13 year old and I was never intimidated about having a teenager. I never have really appreciated when people would say, Oh, just wait until they're teenagers. And of course, the fact that I have three daughters, I get those comments a lot, like unsolicited comments like that from people at the grocery store and things like that, you know, oh my goodness, bless your heart. Just wait until they're teenagers. Like I get that a lot. And we did have a moment in the, uh, in the delivery room when our youngest was born, where my husband looked at me and kind of did the math. And he said, 
18, 16, and 13, meaning that at one point in time, we're going to have those ages of teenage girls all in our house at one time. And then he kind of thought for a second and he did the math again and he said, 43, 18, 16, and 13, because I guess he anticipates me being a 43 year old is going to be like a real hardship for him. But anyway, the point is I haven't really ever been scared of teenagers just because I spent a lot of time professionally teaching teenagers. And a lot of being a teacher is being, you know, an extension of a parent because the kids, it's not like the kids don't need parenting or guidance while they're at school. So you kind of have to function in that space somewhat. Um, so I really actually have been looking forward to it because especially as it relates to homeschooling, I've been kind of flying blind a little for all these years of them being in elementary school because I did not take elementary ed classes in college. I did one stint as a, as a uh, substitute teacher for a kindergarten PE class. And I decided I was never stepping foot inside an elementary school again, period. I wasn't doing it. Elementary school was not for me. So I really leaned into the dynamic of middle school when I ended up there with my first teaching job. So I feel like I've been feeling like all these years as we started homeschooling and then as like our oldest started climbing the grades. I've been looking forward to it with anticipation. Like, yes, when she gets to middle school, I'm finally going to know what I'm doing because that's what I was teaching when I was in the classroom. And then because I did a secondary education minor, I did all these practicums in high school classrooms, middle school classrooms. So I've been like, I've been anxiously awaiting the day when I would feel like, yes, okay, I finally know what I'm doing. So we're there, like academically for sure we're there. So I mean, as can be expected, the learning curve of having to be 24-7 parent is a little different. So I'm on that learning curve for sure. But overall, I consider it a, a challenge, but not a hardship, I guess, is a good way to describe it, maybe. And I have the ability... I'm grateful for this. I mean, my, my day-to-day memory is not that great. I'll walk into a room and have no idea, um, what I'm doing in there, but I have this ability to remember the most random things. Like if something really makes an impression on me, it will make like a forever memory. And so through the years, especially when my kids were really little and I was brand new to being a stay at home mom, this was in the early teens, 20 teens. Um, cause my oldest was born in 2007 and then the next one was in 2009. I started staying home in 2009. So starting in like 2009, 2010, all the way through the 20 teens, I was doing a lot of reading, lots of blogs, mom blogs, you know, parenting, toddlers, whatever, whatever age they were in, I was trying to like absorb information, you know, what's going on? How can I how can I do this or whatever? I love reading self-help books. I probably own more nonfiction self-help books than I do fiction. I love fiction too, but I really, for whatever reason, I just really like self-help books. So I can recall reading this mom blog and I tried before I sat down to record this podcast, I sat down and I tried to find it because I thought surely this will be easy to find on the internet. I can think of, I can remember enough keywords, you know, that 
I'll be able to find it. Well, I I could not. So it must have been 10 or more years ago that I read this blog. But I read this blog where this mom told this story about she handled how she handled a particular incident with her teenage daughter. And I was so affected by how she handled it. I just remember thinking, wow, I would never, I would never be able to come up with something like that. I would never be able to think of something that creative and that like effective. And so it made one of those permanent memories. So I've had this thing like filed away for 10 years, probably where I've been, I've been prepared for this very specific parenting situation to come up because thank the Lord, this woman had the idea and blogged it and I read it. So it finally happened. (laughs) It finally happened. And that's the story I'm going to tell tonight. I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer because I think it's important that, um, I don't know if permission is the right word. But I've gotten to the point now to where at the age my kids are, I will run things past them before I make it public. Like I have one, my, my middle child is very particular about things like if she had, okay, here's a perfect example. She went to this golf camp, um, a couple weeks ago here in our town and she was like a little star at golf camp. She's 11 And she appears to be just a natural at golf. And this was her first ever being in a, like a group setting with some real actual instruction. She's just been going to uh, the driving range with Chris and hitting balls around and the golf pro has come out and like given her a few tips here and there. This was her first time in like a group setting where they were being actively coached. That chick brought home two prizes In two different categories. So she won the putting contest two days in a row and won a dollar each day. She won the chipping contest two days in a row and won a ball each day. And then at the end of the camp, she won the congeniality award. And she said they only gave out like four awards and there were 30 kids in the camp. And so I was just, you know, as a homeschool mom, as a homeschool parent, I should say, because our kids are not in school for these traditional, like, end-of-the-year award ceremonies or, like, you know, read-a-thons or whatever it is. I almost said book it. Does anyone even do book it anymore? I wouldn't know. Someone tell me. Um, we don't get a lot of – there's not a lot of outside input or reinforcement. Like, I really only ever hear from, you know, their piano teacher, their Sunday school teacher, um They've all been on swim team. I actually don't get much from the swim team coaches. They're not really interested in giving feedback. But um, there's just not a lot of opportunities for me to see my kid pitted against other kids and, you know, quantifiably be excelling for me to be like, wow, that's so great. You know, congratulations. That's amazing. And really want to. So selfishly or maybe not selfishly, but pridefully pridefully when these moments, when these rare moments present themselves, like I do want to kind of, you know, brag about it a little, I guess it's bragging, humble bragging, maybe just broadcasting, I don't know, advertising. So I was so excited 
to post on Facebook about her golf clinic success. And I did not, I did not run that past her. And so I kind of threw this little post up about it. And then it was almost like she had ESP almost immediately after I posted it, she came by and said, um, you know, I don't, I don't really need you telling anybody about golf camp. Like, you're not, you're not going to like tell people or post on Facebook about it. Are you? And I was like, Oh, uh, why do you feel that way? I don't know. I just, you know, it's not a big deal. I just don't want to like, it's just not a big deal. I don't want to, you know, make a big deal out of it. She has such a sweetheart. I can understand that she doesn't want anybody to feel bad. We're working on that a little bit, you know, she's my empath. So I want, I want to validate her you know, feeling, feeling a certain way and wanting to keep a low profile. But, you know, like I said, pridefully, I wanted to be like, my kid's the bomb at golf camp. Miss Congeniality, what? So then I had to kind of quickly like go delete my post. (laughs) And then a couple days later, I came back to it and I was like, would you mind if I just said this or that? And so then she gave me the go ahead. But anyway, I'm trying to be respectful of what I advertise about their lives because, You know, I mean, it's probably weird to be a kid growing up in the age of social media, especially being my kid, because we don't allow them to have social media and don't intend to. I think probably we've been telling them that they can get social media when they go to college. And that's where we're, we're, that's our story. We're sticking to it at this point in time. Um, so it's probably a little weird, you know, to know that your mom is like posting stuff about you and there's people that you don't know that are going to see it. And then like my youngest is very particular about pictures. She wants to approve the picture before I put it up there. And I was, I was so horrified the first time this happened when she said something like, that dress makes me look fat. And I was like, I was all upset. Like, where did she learn fat? Like we don't body shame in this house and we don't talk about each other's figures. And then I just thought about it and I realized this child has been like this from the day she was born. She is a very, um, I was going to say vain, but I think fashion conscious would be a more fair way to say it. She's not vain, like snooty. She just, really cares about her outfit. So anyway, my point being, I'm giving this five minute long disclaimer because I don't want anyone to think that I'm broadcasting my teen's business without her blessing. So I have been blessed by the teen. She's given me very specific instructions and I'm going to honor those instructions about how she would like me to detail the story. So she has told me that I can be, I can be truthful, obviously only the truth here, only the facts, but she just had a few little pointers that she wanted to give me. So, um, with her blessing, I'm going to tell you the story of how I was prepared by a blog post I wrote 10 years ago. So let me just set the scene for you. It is a Saturday afternoon I have picked her up from a weekend of being away from home and I expected when I dropped her off and I knew she was going to be gone for three nights, I expected to get her back tired 
She is a child that requires a lot of sleep. She's always required a lot of sleep. In fact, a couple summers ago, we had friends visiting and she and her friends stayed up super late, which her friend could do because her friend can hang like way into the night. Um, but my child just cannot. <laughs> so we stayed up, they stayed up super late for like three nights in a row. And she was legitimately physically ill by the fourth day and had to lay out of activities that we had planned because she just can't do it. Her body just needs sleep. So this is a child who requires a lot of sleep. So I expected her to come home tired. What I did not expect for was for her to come home like what I describe as trashed. She was so tired, absolutely exhausted, like looked kind of sallow in the face, almost like a, like a little teen zombie when I picked her up. So she did not know that we had plans for my dad and Christy to be visiting just for the afternoon and going out to dinner. It was not like a high stakes visit. Dad and Christy will routinely come up and visit and just hang out for a few hours. Sometimes they stop by on their way to somewhere else. Sometimes they come and they just have a meal or whatever. So it's never high stakes. It's always just casual and fun and there's no expectation of them. Like they don't need to be, you know, entertained or anything like that. They just want to come see us every so often. So we had, we had planned for them to do that this day. So she was exhausted and had kind of excused herself to the guest room. Like I'm going to go relax in the in the bed and watch some, you know, shows or whatever. And she didn't know that we had plans to go out to dinner. So also because of COVID for the last year, we had not been out to dinner, legitimately out to dinner with dad and Christy in over a year because of COVID. So this was the first time, excuse me, slurping my water. This was the first time we were all going to go to a restaurant in over a year, probably more like a year and a half. And again, not high stakes, just going to the little Mexican joint down the road, but going out nonetheless. So when it came time for us to leave, I said to her, hey, we're going to go get some dinner. And she was like, mama, no, please. I'm so tired. Please don't make me leave this house. Please, please. I'm too tired. And she went into like begging please don't make me go. Please don't. And I was kind of taken aback because I was like, really? What teenager doesn't want to go eat Mexican food? Like, are you that tired? I mean, it it was proof to me of how profoundly tired this child was. So I kind of had this moment where I was like, okay, I know my dad does not care. If she goes out to dinner with us, I know Christy does not care. Nobody's feelings are going to be hurt. Everybody has understanding of the fact that she was away for a couple of days. She didn't get a lot of sleep. Like no one's going to be mad. But there was this other part of me that as a parent was like, no, I feel like this is one of those times where I need to impress upon her the importance of like the choices we make have consequences, you know? So like I was assuming that she made certain choices while she was gone with her friends that resulted in her not getting enough sleep. So I didn't just want to be like, okay, you can opt out of the family time since you're tired, you know, because I just, I don't know, I get a little hung up sometimes on not wanting to start a precedent, you know, like that whole saying of like, don't write a check, you can't cash. So I don't want to start, I'm always kind of leery about starting 
precedent. So I don't want to start this precedent that like, if you're tired, you just don't have to go to family stuff. So I sort of made this decision in the moment. I was like, she's going, but she was giving me pushback. So in that moment, (laughs) I just, I volleyed it. I was like, well, I'm saying you have to go, go ask your daddy. Now, I thought there was maybe like even a, there was probably a 50-50 chance that he was going to say, fine, just stay home. Because sometimes I can't anticipate, you know, what his opinion is going to be about something we hadn't like jihad about this earlier. So she goes to him and sure enough, he's like, no, you're going. Get in the car. So remember when I told you a little bit ago that I said that teenagers are just overgrown toddlers? This toddler teenager went into full on meltdown full on I mean everything but laying on the floor <laughs> like she was laying in the bed not the floor but like she was laying in the bed and there was like wailing and gnashing of teeth and I'm not going and it was like something we had never seen before the level of of exhaustion that was being evidenced was insane so we were having this moment where like we're looking at each other over the possessed body of our child and we're like oh my gosh like what do we do like what do we do and so I could just see it in his eyes that like now he was committed he was like she's going or else and I didn't know what the or else was yet but I had an inkling that it was going to come down to like her very favorite thing to do every year And the thing that she looks forward to every year and the thing that she works to save money and like she does odd jobs around the house to earn money to save up for is camp. And so we were like, child, get out of this bed, get in the car. And if you don't, you're not going to camp. And she, she was, she put her foot down y'all. She was like, fine, then I'm not going to camp. And I was like, oh no, we're not doing this because I'm going to be honest. This is the first year that all three of our kids were going to be able to go to camp. (laughs) We've always had the youngest one not be old enough to go while the older two are gone for a week. And I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a long week to be home with one child who's used to having two sisters to entertain them. It can be a little bit of like, you know, it's kind of, it's work. So Have I been looking forward to all three of them being at camp? Yes, indeed. So when we threw the hammer down and she threw it right back, I was like, oh no, this is bad. So I said to Chris, I said, go get in the car and wait. We'll be there in just a minute. So I let him leave. And then I just looked at her very deadpan and I said, I'm going to the kitchen and I'm going to start a timer for five minutes. And if you're not in the car, when the timer beeps, you will not be going to camp this summer. And then I just walked out of the room. And then, y'all, I started praying. (laughs) Because I was like, Lord, please do not make me cash this check. (laughs) I don't want to ruin her summer. I also don't want to ruin the week that I've been looking forward to just like reveling in being old enough to have kids that are all old enough to go to camp. Like I had plans for this week. I'm not going to lie. Selfishly, I needed those kids to go to camp. 
So I stood by the back door. I had my purse on. I knew she didn't have any shoes on. So I found a pair of flip-flops in the shoe closet and I put them right there by the back door so that she could just like put the shoes on and walk out the door. And I just waited. And I was watching that clock. And at the three minute and 35 second mark, she came out of the room. I pointed to the shoes. She put her feet in them. And she turned like she was going to go out the door. So I was like right behind her. We were like nose to nose just about when she turned around. So I'm like right behind her. At the last second, right before she pushes out the door, she turns around and she says, not says, I'm sorry. That would be an incorrect verb. I would say she uh, exclaims, why are you doing this to me? And I said something, I was trying to be very like, you know, deadpan, calm, you know, de-escalate. And I said, because I think it's important that you spend time with your family, even when you're tired. And then y'all, it happened. She got right up in my face and screamed, I hate you. And then whipped around, went out the door, which then came slamming back in my face. And this was my bad. I shouldn't have done this. But I'm a little bit of a, I don't care about conflict. Like, conflict doesn't bother me. I hollered after her, not as much as you'd hate me if you missed your week of camp. And then I closed the door and I went and I joined her in the car. And we we had a very awkward drive to dinner. And then we went to dinner and she sat down at the table and that poor baby fell asleep sitting up like mid-chew, just like a baby, you guys, just like a toddler. It's the most confounding thing. It's so amazing. So I had some time to chew on it while we were sitting there at dinner. And it did not take me long to remember the blog that I read 10 years ago. Here comes the train again. So 10 years ago, I read this blog about this mom who had a teenage daughter and the teenage daughter in, you know, like in the middle of an argument or a fit of rage or an exhausted meltdown, whatever, yelled something unspeakable at the mom. To be honest, I can't even remember what it was. I feel like it was probably worse than I hate you, but it was something bad nonetheless, something that should not be screamed at your mother. So this mom came up with the most ingenious way to handle this. So tactful, so impactful. And like I said, it made a permanent memory for me. And so sitting there and thinking about it, I thought, I know what I have to do. I know. I know how we're going to resolve this. Because, you know, like this is, this is the first time she's ever in her whole life. This is the first time she's ever told me she hates me. Like we don't do that at the house. There's no like, I hate you. It's not. Like, we don't let the kids say it to each other. They've never said it to us. You know, Chris and I don't say it to each other. Like, it's just not a thing that happens here. So this was a big, you know, one of those milestones. So the rest of that day was pretty uneventful. Like I said, she fell asleep sitting up at dinner. So we came home. She went to bed early, probably like seven o'clock. I don't think she fell asleep at seven o'clock, but she was in her bed at seven o'clock. And I told Chris what I was going to do. And I got up the next morning 
and I knew I had a pretty good idea that she would sleep in. She'll, she'll sleep in anyway. Most days she'll sleep until about nine, but I had a pretty good idea that she was going to sleep in a good, a good bit longer. So I put my plan into action. So I got up first thing and went to Walmart. And when I got to Walmart, I went to the bakery department. Remember, I'm taking this from a page from some other mom's blog. Okay. I have no rights to this idea. And maybe someday I'll find her story on the internet so that I can give proper credit. I go to the bakery and I peruse their section of sheet cakes. And I find one that looks to be about the size I'm looking for. I didn't want like a whole sheet. That would have been insane. But I just needed like a cake that was big enough to have some words written on it. And I found one that was, was like white icing. I think it had blue around the edge and like the little funfetti dots. Oh, and it was on sale. So that was a bonus. So I picked the cake up and I put it on the counter and the bakery lady comes over and I said, Hey, um, so can I like, y'all will put something on the cake for me? She said, yeah, of course here. Um, just write it down on this piece of paper and then I'll, and then I'll pipe it on there. And I said, okay, this is going to sound kind of bad. And she goes, oh, well, I can't write it if it's profane. (laughs) I said, no, it's not, it's not profane. It's just going to sound bad. I was like, but, um, I need you to write, I hate you on it (laughs) in really like pretty font. Can you do that? And she was like looking at me, y'all, I wish. I had been brave enough to take her picture because the look she was giving me was like, she was trying to figure me out. Like, was I a hateful, horrible person who was going to go serve somebody and I hate you cake? Or was the, was it a joke? Like she was definitely morbidly curious about what was happening. And so I said, I know this sounds terrible. I just, I'm trying, there's a lesson I'm trying to teach here. And she's like, okay. And she said, would you like the words in any specific color? And I said, I think red would be fitting. (laughs) So she piped, I hate you on the cake in beautiful cursive red frosting. And I brought it home and to no surprise at all, exhausted child is still sleeping. So we have a little table in our sunroom. So I went out to the sunroom and I put out two nice Actually, I think I put out three plates. I put out three nice plates. I put out some silverware, my fancy cake cutter, and then I put the cake and then I put like a, I draped a, like a big dish towel over the whole thing so that if somebody walked by the room, they wouldn't see what looked like a party out there. Because the other thing was I was trying not to get her, I was trying not to alert her sisters to the situation because they had not been in the house to hear her outburst. They were in the car already waiting for us. And so I didn't want this to become like, because of the fact that we're all home together all the time, like nobody ever gets a private, you know, outburst. It's always very public. So I wasn't trying to involve them. So I didn't really want to draw their attention to the little tea party I was setting up in the sunroom. So at that point, it was about 11, I would say, by the time I got home from Walmart. And I just waited and waited and waited and waited until 1.30 p.m. <laughs> when, when she finally emerged from her cocoon like the hungry, hungry caterpillar. 
and came downstairs and looked you know, like pretty sheepish. And I could tell she was trying to figure out like, am I in trouble? Like what's the vibe in the house today? And so I said, well, how did you sleep? Good. I was like, yeah, you've, you've really been asleep a long time, you know? And then she kind of sat there for a minute and then she said, so like, am I in trouble or anything? And I said, well, we're going to talk about that. You know, but first of all, like, are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? And so she was like, yeah, you know, I'd like some breakfast. So I said, well, how about I make you an egg sandwich and then we can sit down and talk. So I made her a fried egg sandwich real fast because I didn't want to put, I didn't want cake to be the first thing she ate <laughs> after, <laughs> after a long winter's nap. So she had her egg sandwich and we were just kind of like chitty chatting. And then I said, why don't you come in here? I've, um, I have kind of like a sort of special thing set up in here for us. She was looking at me very, very suspiciously. So we went into the sunroom and I pulled the towel off and I pulled the cover off the cake and she was like, her face, (laughs) you know, I was having a hard time reading her face. There, there are moments in your parenting when you feel really strong, where you feel like really sure about something. And then there will be this moment and you'll come and you'll be like, oh my gosh, what have I done? So I had one of those moments where I was like, oh no, what if this totally backfires? But I, I see the different like looks kind of like cross her face. And then she settles on one and she looks at me and she goes, really? What is this? (laughs) I said, I think you know what this is. Why don't you sit down so we can talk? So we sat down. And I took my big fancy cake cutter and I carved off a big old hunk of cake to serve each of us. And I said, you know, it's very rare in real life where you get the opportunity to eat your words. In real life, when you say something, it cannot be unsaid. If you say something hateful to your sister or to your parent, or to your friend, or to your boss, or whoever. You can't unsay it. And there's very few people in your life who are anywhere near as willing as your mom and dad to forgive you when you've crossed the line. That's just the reality. That's just life. That's just the facts of life. And all of us have to learn this at some point in time. And I just want you to learn it with me in this moment so that you don't learn it in a much more high stakes situation where your words cause you to lose a friend or lose a job or harm your relationship with your sister or any other iterations of what can happen when you say something regrettable. And so we basically sat there and we ate cake that said hate on it. And we each ate a lot. We ate a lot of cake. At one point I did make a point to cut the piece that said hate and put it on her plate, but she did not finish. (laughs) I just had to do, I felt like this has to happen. But she told me, you know, I hadn't really had a chance to talk to her since I had picked her up. She told me, you know, the goings on of when she was, gone and 
how she had missed a lot of sleep and how, you know, she had let her friends drag her out of the bed at really early hours in the morning. And she drank coffee for the first time (laughs) trying to stay awake. And so like she knew, she knew, she knew that she had made choices that ultimately resulted in her saying something regrettable and incidentally hateful. But what I wanted her to know more importantly was that with me, I will always be open to forgiving her for what she says. But I need her to know that like the stakes are high with words. You know, that's a lesson I've had to learn personally. And there's been many multiple painful situations where I've learned a lesson where my words were hurtful and you cannot take them back. You can apologize, you know, my word, we got some busy tracks tonight. Here comes the train again. Um, you know, I realized a few years into being married that like my words tend to come out like a volcano erupting and then I feel better, but like Chris would be over there like the scorched remains, you know, of where my volcanic word eruption landed on him. And it took much longer for him to move past them than me. Me, I'd be like, well, I feel better. Oh, sorry. Sorry if I hurt your feelings. You know, isn't that one of the worst apologies ever? Sorry if I hurt your feelings. Man, people like me are so bad at apologies. Sorry. I just feel like I should apologize on behalf of all Enneagram 8s. And type A personalities and INFJs or whatever that thing is that I am. Anyway, so I just tried to impress on my child that, like, I really don't want to watch you having to learn hard lessons. Like, I really just wanted to give her the opportunity to learn it really big and really memorably with me, a safe person who will forgive you for being hateful, who will even buy you a cake to commemorate your first, I hate you. (laughs) And it went exactly like I hoped it would go. So, uh, that happened a few weeks ago and actually it was probably, I don't know, more like two months ago, but I've been thinking about it ever since because I feel like it, it, it did kind of unlock a new level in our communication. And, um, there's a biblical concept of leaving, um, it's not called an altar. What is it called? Shoot. If I'm going to bring up an example from the Bible, I should probably at least know what I'm talking about. It's when people in the old Testament would pile up rocks when they were somewhere and they would say, you know, this, it's not an, is it an altar? I don't think it's an altar. Anyway, they would, they would pile up rocks and they would say, you know, here, here was where God did this thing, or here was where we, you know, we'll never forget the battle that we won or the kindness of the Lord or whatever. So it was one of those moments in our relationship where it was like, I don't think it's going to be possible for her to ever forget the sight of that cake. And the fact that it went so well and, and opened up, you know, unlocked a deeper level of conversation where we will, we were able to talk about all these different things, you know, just about like how right now in her life, there are so many high stakes moments 
But if she can just like really latch on to thinking about consequences and all that kind of stuff, you know, like she has such a great, like very developed conscience. She has always had, I have, I have described it as a guilty conscience, but she has always had a very strong conscientious leaning. Even since she was little bitty, she would tell on herself. Like if she tried, if she tried to tell a lie, she would, it, she could, she cannot lie. She would tell on herself every time, like full on confession. And <laughs> she gave me permission to tell this story too. Um, this was just a couple weeks ago. She came downstairs one morning and she, <laughs> she looked like really kind of tortured. And I said, what is wrong with you? She said, oh, I didn't get very much sleep last night. And I was like, really? Why? What happened? Did you have a bad dream or something? She was like, No. I waited until the other two fell asleep and then I went and I, you know, those scented markers, those smelly markers we have like, yeah, she said, well, I drew a mustache on her, meaning her, her middle sister. I drew a mustache on her because I just thought it would be so funny. But then when I laid back down in bed, then I worried that like maybe the smell was going to make her sick or something or like, I don't know. And so then I was like, I have to undo it. So, so she went to the bathroom and she got a washcloth and she came back and she's trying to scrub the smelly marker mustache off of her, off of her sister and her sister woke up in the middle of it. Cause hello, someone's scrubbing you with a washcloth in the middle of the night. You're going to notice that. And so her sister's like, what are you doing? And she's like, Oh, um, just go back to sleep. You had a little nosebleed. <laughs> so then she laid awake half the night tortured by the fact that a she'd drawn a mustache on her sister so then her conscience got to her about that then she tried to make it right by wiping it off then she lied about what she was doing oh my goodness i just love her personality so much in these moments because it's like it it takes my like i know it's it would be naive to say that i would never have to worry about her making a bad decision but like i feel sure that she would tell on herself no matter She's going to be such a conscientious, like, driver, and she's going to be such a good employee, and she's such a loyal friend, and she's all these wonderful, amazing qualities that come with having such a strong conscience, but, man, it's also super, super entertaining from this side. It's really hard to keep a straight face, so that is my cross to bear, I guess, but, you know, I just really, (laughs) I just really look forward to, in several years, when she's an, you know, a late teenager and she's like on the cusp of adulthood, you know, being able to sit back and remember <laughs> these sort of things that happen along the way. And uh, we haven't even told. So her sisters found out later that she like they saw the cake box thrown away in the trash and they were like, why did why did she get cake? No fair. And I was like, well, why don't you ask her? And I was kind of giving her the op- the option you know, to tell on herself, but she opted not to. So her sisters actually don't even know this story. So you guys are getting the story. You're getting the scoop before the sisters even do. So part of me is hoping they don't find out. They don't listen to my podcast, so I could probably keep it a secret for a good while. But part of me is hoping they don't find out so that if and when one of them tries this, I can use my mom blog inspired treatment. So I don't know if any of you have ever read the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle books, but if you haven't, you should. They are classic and hysterically funny. 
Um, but I guess this will go down in our parenting journey as the eat your words cure. And that's all I have to say about that. So it's been fun getting back in front of the microphone. If you know where to find me on the internet, then this will be redundant, but you can find me at oddlyadulting.com. You can also find me on Instagram at oddlyadulting. And if for some reason you want to throw a couple dollars my way, maybe a five to say thanks a latte (laughs) for the entertainment, maybe on your morning commute or whatever, you know, you can do that if you want to. There's a link at oddlyadulting.com. But mostly just let me know if you're listening, if you have a story that you'd like to share from your childhood where something your parent did um, affected you, maybe even traumatized you. Who knows? My child could be traumatized by cake and I wouldn't even know it. We'll have to wait and see when she's grown up and she's paying the therapy bills. I'll have to ask her (laughs) how she really felt about it. But I'll leave you with this. She, when I asked her, I said, what did you think when you saw that cake? She said, I thought, wow, that's extra. (laughs) So there you have it, y'all. I think that pretty much sums it up. I am extra and I am extra unapologetic about it. So if you made it all the way to the end of this, you know what I'm going to say. I love you. And Jesus does too. Bye. Music is by Kevin McLeod, winner, winner.